This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good afternoon. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. Recent revelations of licences issued for rock quarrying within the Bukit Lagong Forest Reserve have raised more than just eyebrows among environmental conservation groups and the public alike. Many have called on the Slango State Government to address concerns surrounding the establishment of these 27 quarries in the Forest Reserve. But uh, already across the Rawang and Kuang area, quarries have greatly scarred the landscape in many places, leaving no trees. So how could these constitute parts of the Forest Reserve and what really is going on here. Today on the show, I'm going to find out more from Peter Leong. He's a researcher and activist for various green conservation issues. Uh, he's also a member of Friends of Bukit Kiara. And joining us also, Rosalie Omar, a wildlife photographer and ex-lecturer at the University of Malaya, also a member of Friends of Bukit Kiara, who are very concerned. Two tamantunas, am I right, who are very concerned about what's going on in uh, Bukit Lagong. Welcome, gentlemen. How are you today? Thank you. Very good. Thank you, Juliet. Thank you so much for joining me today. So, yes... Um, both of you, you know, long-time activists, so you've had experiences in these sorts of issues. But I think, you know, something very interesting that maybe a lot of people don't know about is that there you can do quarrying inside a permanent forest reserve, right? I don't think that was something people know about. Can you tell us a little bit about that, Peter? Yeah, even as a bit of a researcher and uh, activist, uh, I was vaguely aware of it for some years already. But it's not something I thought too much about because uh, it didn't seem like uh, it was happening at a scale that would... Um, uh, be too significant. But I think the recent uh, developments uh, uh, certainly have cast a new light on that. Uh. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we need to actually uh, expose and uh, create public awareness that uh, you know certain choices need to be made um, by our state in order to um, you know conserve its um, its future uh, its future of its natural resources. Uh. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Rosalie, maybe you have some thoughts. Yeah. In many activities, you have first to de degazette. Yeah. Uh, hutan Simpan, a uh, permanent reserve forest. Yeah. You have to dig it. But uh, somehow, quarrying is not one of them. You can quarry in a permanent forest reserve. Mm-hmm. Yep. Without uh, without going through the process yes. of decazetment, yes. right? Yes. I don't think a lot of people know that. Yeah, and I think from the little that I've uh, been able to research, um, it seems that you can also prospect for metals, uh. Mining. Oh, okay. You can prospect, but I think when you actually start up a mine, uh, you need to excise it uh, from the forest. But mm-hmm. uh, prospecting can certainly be done. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about this current issue, right? So we know that back in late September, I think it was both Rimba Disclosure Project, Malaysia Kini as well, revealed that 27 quarries, right? And um, some with links to the state government mm-hmm. were due to be opened up in the Bukit Lagung Forest Reserve in Selangor with I think over 40,000 hectares of forest reserve land being sold online for these quarrying purposes. Uh, either of you, could you, you know, just for folks who might know, not know what's happening, can you remind our listeners, give us a timeline of events or just bring them up to speed on what's happening? Yeah. Uh, I think the first we came to know of it was through this good piece of work by Rimba Disclosure where they exposed a, um, uh, a quarry zone plan of Bukit Lagong which showed uh, 27 names. Uh. Of course, out of the 27 names, we know six because uh, six are already um, uh, publicly disclosed through day one uh, Q&A mm-hmm. um, uh, that they are the existing six quarries. Uh. Okay. So um, probably we can say that there's another 21 that we... Uh, don't know about and probably Rosalie will tell us a bit more about who are among the 21 mm-hmm. but uh, for the time being I think uh, it's clear to us that um, uh, the six at least uh, have been around for as long as 30 years some of them Okay. and uh, that this modus operandi of actually quarrying forest reserves is uh, not new it's been around for um, a long time 
And uh, to be fair, it's also not unique to Snago because I have come across news um, that uh, associates, uh, for example, Pera. Pera is actually the most quarried state in West Malaysia, as I understand, and uh, they also do have some, although we don't know how much. So the extent of um, this being an issue nationwide is uh, not something that we uh, are able to assess right now because of the lack of um, uh, public information. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, certainly I think it's worth uh, looking at and understand whether our country does need to go in this direction or should we actually pull back and uh, reconsider policies, uh, not just in Slango, but nationwide. Uh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, and, and we'll talk about that uh, a bit more after this, Peter. But um, mm-hmm. maybe, Rosalie, I can ask you, you know, those 27, those those new companies, right? There, mm-hmm. Two of them are linked to Mantripasa Slango Incorporated, mm-hmm. am I correct? And, um, mm-hmm. I, well, yeah, there's three that are, you know, linked to the government in some way or another. Can you uh, elaborate on that? Yeah, uh, they are, yeah, are related to uh, Mantripasa Incorporated. Okay. Two of them, right? Two of uh, them. Two of them, yeah. One to the, interestingly, to the uh, Koperasi Jabatan Perhutanan, where um, mem- the staff can be uh, members of the Koperasi. Okay. And Jabatan Perhutanan, the Forestry Department, of course, uh, looks after the forest. And yet, you have their cooperative uh well, basically making money of the uh, of the forest, so uh, they know where the forests are, which ones are to be to be quarried or whatever other activities. So it's like uh, fox <laughs> taking care of the uh, chicken coop. Mm-hmm. So it is really not right. And the Menteri Besar Incorporated, of course, chaired by the Menteri Besar, and he decides uh, on so many things. For example. Uh, which forest to be uh, to be quarried, yeah. and he's the he's the a beneficiary of that uh, decision. So yeah. it's just not right. This Menteri Besar Incorporated is just not right. There, there's a conflict of interest involved. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right, and you know, uh, Peter, you wrote. Uh, these two very uh, in-depth articles, uh, or a very in-depth article on all of this, right? And in that, you wrote about the laws that are govern that govern quarrying here in Malaysia, or maybe the lack thereof of that. I mean, could, could you could you elaborate on that? Are there laws governing quarrying here in Malaysia? Oh, certainly there are. I think um, laws which were drawn up with good intent. Mm-hmm. I mean, my belief is that uh, a lot of it, a lot of practices actually stem from what was already being practiced in terms of. Forest Conservancy during the uh, colonial times. Okay. And um, I mean, let's be clear, forests were always meant to be exploited for its resources and yeah. for income to the state. Uh, nothing wrong with that if we do it um, responsibly. But um, I think those laws need to be applied in the way that they were intended, uh, in the manner in which they were designed to be um, to be applied. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we seem to be seeing uh, increasingly is that uh, the, the manner of using these laws to uh, quote-unquote legalize various activities uh, seems to have become kind of perverted. Uh. Mm-hmm. And I think we can go into a bit more detail later as we go through uh, some examples. Uh, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. all right. And um, um, this is something, of course, again related yeah. to the Slango State Government. You know, yeah. Peter, you wrote that yeah. quarrying within uh, permanent forest reserves yeah. Yeah. Uh, became Slango's, and I'm quoting here, accidental cash cow. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, could you, you also wrote that yes. the state government sees nothing wrong in treating Bukit Lagung in particular, yes. uh, the quarrying as its fallback cash cow. Oh. Can, can you elaborate on that for me? Oh, yeah, because um, 
Lagong actually, uh, like I said, uh, has six quarries, as I mentioned, of that uh, leaked uh, uh, forest uh, quarrying plan. Mm -hmm. uh, we recognize six names out of 27. These six have been around for a long time. and that. Um, but if you actually look at the broader scenario around Selangor, day one uh, uh, reply basically uh, confirmed that there are only eight. Okay. So it means that six out of eight uh, are in Lagong. Mm. And uh, why do I say sacrificial uh, uh, cash cow? It's because uh, if you actually look at the size of Lagong uh, in relation to Selangor's um, total forest reserves, it's actually less than 2%. Mm. Selangor has forest reserves in the order of um, a quarter million hectares. Okay. And the size of um, uh, Bukit Lagong Forest Reserve is uh, just under 4,000. So uh, we are talking about, uh, well, I mean, just by implication, I'm not saying I know the numbers, but it's like 75% of um, forest source rock products coming from less than 2% of the um, forest land area of Selangor, wow. which is, I mean, if that isn't a sacrifice zone, then I don't know what is. <laughs> yeah. Okay, all right. Uh, Rusli, anything yeah. you wanted to add to that? No, uh, uh, back to the uh, concessions, the, the proposed quarry companies. Yeah. Um, they were not uh, open tender, you know, just mm. uh, so, again, uh, something uh, not right going on. Okay, so so there was no, there was a lack of transparency, would you say yes, as yes, well? Yes, yes, lack of tra transparency, yeah. Okay. Right. And as far as uh, I know, some of these companies are like a two ringgit, three ringgit company, you know, uh, have no record in uh, quarrying work. Okay, mm. okay. These are the, the new companies that are yes, coming yes, in, right? The new, yeah, the new companies. Yeah, I'd just like to add on a bit to what Rosalie just mentioned. Um, it's actually quite interesting to try and understand what exactly are these uh, companies whose names are on that plan but are not yet operating. Uh. Mm -hmm. uh, do they actually have their license? Do they actually have their concessions yet? That's, uh, I think, a very important question because uh, as we have seen, uh, uh, there's a tendency for the state to claim that they are obligated, legally obligated to um, uh, concessionaires mm -hmm. or um, parties to whom land has, has been quote-unquote alienated. But are they actually alienated? Uh, these are the things that um, tend to be a bit opaque in our Malaysian uh, uh, civil administration. Mm -hmm. um, for, for the existing quarries, for example, you, you know that there is a permit. You can walk up to the main entrance. There'll be a signboard there which proclaims the permit number, permit details, permit holder name, everything. And there'll be a little panel down there which um, gets uh, painted over and re-stenciled many, many times. Because the license provision they're using is the license provision that needs renewal every six months. I see. So it's, it's actually um, called minor license. Okay. It starts with uh, one year and then it uh, carries on with uh, repeated six-month re renewals. So you actually see um, that for a 30-year operation, you need uh, stenciling over like, uh, you, you need the original permit uh, date of one year okay. plus another 58 times of uh, renewal. <laughs> half a year renewals. Half, half. It is really crazy yeah, uh, business. Yeah. So when we see that, we know that there actually is a license. But um, for the other 21 who are not yet operating, do they actually have a license? Does the state actually have any legal um obligation to them. I think this is something we've also seen in the, you know, the recent furor about the Bukit Cherakah de Gazetman, mm -hmm. where Menteri Besar has claimed that the, the state is ob obligated Obligate. to the tune of one or two billion to the uh, parties who are said to have alienated the land, uh, to whom the land has purportedly been alienated. 
But if you actually go to the land office and check, do these guys actually have titles? No, they don't have. The bulk of them do not have. Okay. And um, are the, 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 you know, the offers, the surat tawaran for, for alienating these lands, are they actually still within a validity period? No one knows. So for the MB to claim that the state is already obligated to the tune of one or two billion, billion uh, yeah. without evidence, you know, it's uh, pretty, anal- pretty anal- analogous to this situation we have with the quarries. Uh. Mm-hmm. So I, I believe that um, there's a high possibility the state can actually walk away from entirely from these uh, new concessions without paying a cent. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't have the evidence to support my statement. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's just go for a quick break, gentlemen. When we yep. come back, uh, let's talk about, you know, the area uh, in question, you know, this forest reserve, uh, Bukit Lagung. I'm speaking today to Peter Leong and yep. Rosalie Omar. They are both members of Friends of Bukit Kiara. Peter is a researcher and activist. Uh, uh, Rosalie is a wildlife photographer and ex-lecturer at University of Malaya. We're discussing what's going down uh, in Bukit Lagung because uh, 27 quarries uh, will be established in this forest reserve. What's actually happening there? We'll continue that discussion after this quick break. You're listening to Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. BFM 89.9. Welcome back. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. Joining me in the studio today, Peter Leong, a researcher and activist who is uh, who works for various green conservation causes here in Kuala Lumpur and here in Malaysia, basically. And also Rosalie Omar. He's a wildlife photographer. He's an ex-lecturer at the University of Malaya. Both of them are members of Friends of Bukit Kiara. Uh, and they are here talking not about Bukit Kiara, uh, but we're talking about what's going down in Bukit Lagung. Uh, because as we know, recent revelations of licenses issued for rock quarrying within the Bukit Lagung Forest Reserve has caused a lot of concern among many, many people. So before the break, you know, gentlemen, you were sharing um, yeah, some things that don't quite uh, add up, right, in terms of uh, licenses or how all of this came to be. Um, but maybe we can spend a bit of time just talking about uh, the Bukit Lagung area, right? I mean, in terms of its biodiversity, in terms of its, its uh, ecological significance. I think maybe for starters, can you paint a picture of where this place is, you know, for someone who might not even uh, realise? Ah, okay, I think I can do that. Sure, Peter, yeah, go for yeah. it. So basically, Bukit Lagung, if you were to drive along the North South Highway towards uh, Ipoh, I mean, just as you exit KL, you actually see the quarries from the highway. Mm. I think that's the most uh, obvious um, um, place mark by which you could recognize uh, Bukit Lagung. But essentially, it's bounded by um, uh, Nosa Highway, mm-hmm. the Lata Highway on the north, yes. and the uh, old uh, Federal Route 1 on the east. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, and of course, uh, to the south of it, uh, we have uh, Frim, yeah. Yeah, uh, which most people know where that is. So uh, that's, that's Lagung. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and this area, it's not part of the state, Slango State Park, right? The Bukit Lagung Forest Reserve? Um, no, right? It's separate. It's not. It's not. It's but not, it's yeah. next door too. Yeah. Next door too. Because okay. just across the road at Templar Park, that's where mm. it starts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And but because of that, of course, you know, it is, it is one of I would say the last wildlife corridors connecting the forest reserve to maybe Kanching and the Templar Forest. Would I be right in saying? Oh that? yes, absolutely. In fact, um, uh, friends of Bukit Kiara has actually been doing some work with the uh, UNDP mm. in helping to scope out the next uh, round of. Um, uh, small grants mm-hmm. for community uh, organizations to actually uh, try and conserve uh, ecosystems and uh, linkages uh, across the Klang Valley. Mm-hmm. And actually, if you look at all the uh, significant green lungs uh, through the central Klang Valley, uh, most of them um, uh, have got a, a kind of a pattern of co- connectivity that uh, you can actually see if you look at it on Google uh, Map in oh. satellite mode. You know, uh, okay. these are all the weak linkages that you can uh, kind of discern, 
And uh, these are the kind of linkages that can be exploited for, for instance, promoting um, bird life uh, flyways mm -hmm. and other um, manners in which uh, terrestrial uh, wildlife can actually uh, cross from one to the other. Okay. You know, and um, the ultimate uh, end game of such con connectivity, logically, for this, uh, this network of green lungs is actually Lagong. By proximity, if you look at um, uh, Bukit Kiara, for example, mm -hmm. Uh, Bukit Kiara and the northern bit of Bukit Kiara, which is, uh, you know, the Penchala Malay Reservation, still very much forested, across uh, the LDP to uh, Bukit Lanjan. Uh, north of Bukit Lanjan is actually Pandasri um, uh, Damansara, which is actually a master plan township. Mm -hmm. Zoom in on that and you'll see that the town planners who designed Pandasri uh, Damansara actually had a uh, green corridor stretching right through it, right. kind of pointing towards Bukit Lagong. Yeah, and um, the other feature that you will notice if you examine the maps is actually uh, the TNB transmission corridors. For some reason, uh, a lot of the transmission corridors that uh, are emanating from these, the so-called the mid-basin area of the Klang Valley mm -hmm. actually seem to head up to Lagong. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, you know, these are like a two-chain-wide kind of corridors which need to be kept green and uh, actually may create the potential for concerted um, and uh, deliberate efforts to actually promote connectivity. So Lagong is actually, in a way, um, the, the pathway for uh, Central KL's uh, green lungs, or rather the Mid-Klang Basin's green lungs. By Mid-Klang Basin, I mean like somewhere between KL and PJ and Shah Alam. Yeah. For all these green lungs to actually um, uh, connect into the Lagong, which is actually across the road from the state park. Yeah. Okay. And in terms of, I mean, in terms of its um, ecological significance, maybe mm. I don't know, Rusli, if you want to take this, it's a water catchment area. I mean, talk to me about the biodiversity. Why is it an ecologically sensitive area? Mm. Uh, those sorts of things. Well, uh, as mentioned just now, uh, Bukit Lagong is basically surrounded by roads and development. Mm -hmm. Even though it's um, it's rich in biodiversity now, especially uh, fauna, yeah? uh, but over time, if there is no connectivity to other forests, then there will be inbreeding because uh, not enough meeting uh, partners. Right, right. Um, so to me, we need to connect Bukit Lagong with a wildlife crossing to the, uh, to the other side of the road, of the Rawang Road, uh, mm -hmm. to the Templar Park, with, uh, which is a forest which extends all the way to Titiwangsa main range. That's right. So um, at the moment, Bukit Lagong is an island. Mm -hmm. Over time, the animals there will just be breeding among themselves and you will get uh, genetic uh, problems. Yeah. So we need this uh, wildlife crossing. If I can connect also to uh, our, the issue of Bukit Charaka, uh, Shah Alam Community Forest, as many as 10 tapirs have been killed trying to cross the road, yeah. uh, the Persiaran Moktadari from Shah Alam Community Forest, to the other side. Yeah. Why? Because, well, two things. One is lack of food. Secondly, as mentioned just now, is lack of mating partners. Mm -hmm. So they need to, to cross the road to the other side. So we need, again, we need a wildlife crossing to protect these animals and to provide this linkage. Okay. All right. Okay. And um, in terms of Bukit Lagung's biodiversity, I mean, what can you tell us about that? Is there, I mean, a lot of, uh, you take a lot of photogra oh, yeah. photographs, oh, of course, um, right? Peter and I, we, we, we interviewed... Um, uh, and Orang Asli in Kampong Orang Asli Sungai Bulo, mm. which is next to the uh, Bukit Lagong Forest Reserve. And this guy works with uh, Malaysian Nature Society. Mm -hmm. 
and he gave us a list of wonderful uh, animals uh, available in Bukit Lagong. The Cerro, uh, the Black uh, Panther, wow. the Great Argus, which I heard also when, when I was uh, there in the forest. And well, so many, so many wonderful animals and many of them are uh, in the category of uh, endangered and vulnerable according to the uh, IUCN category, yeah? International mm-hmm. Union of uh, Conservation of Nature uh, Red List, red list uh, yeah. status. Yeah? Mm-hmm. So, so many wonderful creatures there. Uh, we did a bird survey, butterfly survey, which shows this, this um, Bukit Lagong is a very rich forest. We must protect it. If we lose like 800 hectares for the quarries, that's a huge chunk of Bukit Lagong. And once you you remove such a big chunk, uh, the abundance of animals will come down. The uh, species uh, richness uh, will also come down. Mm-hmm. Abundance and number of species will come down. Okay. Okay. Mm. All yeah. right. And um, by the way, don't also don't forget the, the you just mentioned the great Argus pheasant. Oh yes, yes. You know the Kampung Hulu Kuang. Mm-hmm. The great Argus. The name in Malay is uh, Kuang. It came from there. Yes, yes. Exactly. Kampung Hulu Kuang. The Kuang is from Great Argus Kak Borong Kuang. That's a very loud call. I heard that. Okay, yeah. okay. That's wonderful, isn't it? That is. Wonderful, yeah. wonderful. It's amazing. It's near KL, forest near KL. You can, you can get that. This is the biggest uh, ground bird in Peninsula Malaysia. Yeah. The biggest ground bird. Yeah. yeah. Yep, and I think probably the uh, was the orang asli who saw fit to use it as a name for their village. Right? Yes, yes. And it's uh, of course today Kampung Orang Asli Ulukuang is one of uh, a tree that are impacted by the um, potential quarrying. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Two of them more so. Uh, one maybe a little bit further, but it's still part of the same ecosystem. Okay, yeah. I was actually going to ask about that because you know you yeah. uh, you know you mentioned impacted communities, right? And those two uh, yeah. those two villages, Kampung Hulukuang and Kampung Sungai Bulo, um, you said that they were both within a kilometer of existing operational quarries, right? Um, this has been refuted. I don't know if you if you oh, saw yes, that. Yes, yes. Just I was yesterday. Just, just yesterday, right? Yeah. Um, so He uh, Loisian, the uh, Selangor Tourism and Environment Exco member, says that, and I'm quoting here: the nearest Orang Asli settlement is about three kilometers away from the quarry and is nine kilometers away from the other newly approved quarry location. Uh, that's what he said. I mean, how would you like to respond to that? Uh, so in the press conference on uh, on the uh, 2nd of uh, November, mm-hmm. you know, we actually brought the uh, media together to a press conference in uh, Dewan Kampung Arasi Ulu Kuang. Uh, well, the maps were there on the on the wall for them to view. And uh, I think uh, most journalists do know how to use the distance checking function in Google Map. Uh. So, um, and I think they will know how to compare with what the... Um, the Honourable Exco said. Okay, all right. Yeah. So then maybe we can expand a little bit more on the impacts to the Orang Asli communities. I mean, you wrote a little bit about it. Can you can you share how they will be impacted? Yeah, I, I think uh, there is already quarrying in the area. I mean, we did mention the six. And actually, it's not only those six. Because if you go up to the northern bit of Lagong, um, the one that borders the Lata Highway and Rawang, there's, there are also quarries there, but these quarries are um, in alienated land outside the forest reserve. Of course, um, the potential new quarrying zone is going to add even to the Rawang uh, side of things as well. Okay. So um, communities are resilient and uh, I think by and large, it seems like the existing communities, both um, Aboriginal as well as townspeople in Rawang, mm-hmm. seem to have uh, kind of adapted. But... Um, 
I mean, let's not assume that they can be pushed into a corner, you know, for yeah. just to serve an economic agenda. Um, I think over time, over the course of time, over the decades, I think we have seen that neighborhoods have kind of reached a kind of um, stable equilibrium. But uh, you, you can't expect that the, the same communities will be um, able to be just as resilient to the um, future additional quarrying because this is uh, of a much grander scale than what is uh, currently uh, existing. Uh. Yeah. New quarries would definitely uh, require new access routes for one. Uh, and yeah. Um, yeah. dust, noise, etc. will all uh, inevitably run off to a new set of receptors. Mm. And uh, these new receptors uh, will affect communities or sections of communities that were not previously impacted. And then uh, it, it'll be a long process of adaptation. Okay. And uh, is that something we really want? Uh, I the other thing that also the um, the YBX school has uh, highlighted was, uh, or rather attempted to portray, was the buffer zones, or uh, rather uh, you know exaggerated portrayal of buffer zones. It's not just buffer zones that I play here because uh, you know we are talking about areas which are rich in water resources. There are streams and rivers, you know, and Kuang uh, and Sungai Buloh Orang Asli settlements are definitely uh, downstream right. of the. Um, the new quarry zones, uh, basically downstream of the uh, Kuang River Network and the Sungai Buloh River Networks, uh, respectively. And um, we need to view this not in the context of, uh, or not through the lens of townspeople where we get water from the pipes. Correct. Yeah. yeah. These guys, uh, actually, they, they need the stream water. You know, um, not only that, uh, uh, I think the whole ecosystem has been built around what lives in that water and also what uh, feeds on what lives in that water. You know, so it's a whole life cycle or a whole um, food chain associated with uh, these water resources. Mm -hmm. So being simplistic by talking about, well, whether it's three or nine kilometer buffer zones, I think it's, uh, it's just not on because um, if you're downstream, you're downstream. Simple okay. as that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. oh, I, I, I'm amazed that um, Exco he just can deny either he has not done his uh, his research uh, he, his uh, his aides uh, have not told him about uh, the impact because um, peter has done this map and he has looked at the uh, where the rivers flow from where and to where mm -hmm. and if you've done your research you can see that um, for example kampung orang asli hulu kuang the river flowing there is very nice now but but it comes from the area that that will be quarried, right, and right. Kampung Sungai Bulo, orang asli Sungai Bulo, the river there, uh, Sungai Sungai Bulo, as uh, Peter mentioned, will be coming from the area to be quarried. So, you know, do some research, please. Uh, you have the expertise, uh, the the people. Let's yeah. go here, please do some research. Yeah, I think the, just to add on to what Rosli mentioned. Um, the, the, currently, they seem to be spared of the brunt of the you know sediment loads and all that for the current quarrying, existing quarrying. I mean the six. Mm -hmm. It's partly because, uh, um, or rather, I would say it's mainly because uh, the tributaries on which um, uh, the qu current quarrying is done are kind of join up to the main rivers downstream of where these existing settlements are. Mm -hmm. But um, the most obvious. Uh, um, association we can make with the new quarrying areas is that they are actually uh, going to feed to receptors which are upstream of um, the two settlements. Okay. 
So definitely we'll see some impacts. Yeah, la, definitely. For sure, yeah, right? yeah. In fact, for that matter, I think when we uh, visited uh, Sungai Buloh, uh, they actually did mention that um, the, the rivers turned muddy for a while mm -hmm. and uh, they went to complain mm -hmm. to the authorities and uh, it was discovered that uh, there was uh, this was because of some... Um, prospecting work going on uh, basically to assess the rock quality, uh, probably some drilling or excavation. I'm not sure exactly what. Mm -hmm. But there was an um, incident where they reported um, uh, the river turning muddy. Okay. And that's yeah. just a minor prospecting. Minor, what yeah. when, you know, major, major yeah. quarrying work uh, goes on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. okay. I think, um, you know, you... You know, you, you did sort of say how creating these sort of quarries uh, in a forest reserve land especially, right, mm -hmm. goes against sustainable development. Uh, Peter, maybe you want to elaborate on that for our listeners as well. Yeah. Well, I'm from an industrial uh, kind of background before I went into environmentalism. So I can kind of understand, uh, you know, Rawang, how it became... Uh, uh, kind of a very synergistic place for the rock and cement industry. Uh. Mm -hmm. You know, it has the oldest cement plant in the country in Rawang. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just just a stone's throw from the town. Uh, so I think there was a lot of sound economics, I guess, for the rock based uh, industries to actually develop in um, Rawang. Uh. Okay. Um, but there is a limit to which we can actually carry our economic advantage. Uh. We do need to think about um, natural resources and uh, what we leave behind for. Uh, future generations. Yeah. So basically, what what seems to have happened is that uh, forest quarrying has become a kind of a convenient way to exploit uh, rock products, possibly at a cheaper kind of a cost structure than the way it's normally done in uh, alienated land. Okay. Uh, if I may make an anal analogy, it's like trying to get the milk without actually buying or owning the cows. Mm. Because when you actually set up a quote-unquote normal quarry, you actually need to acquire the land, either freehold or leasehold or temporary occupy, occupation license or whatever. You know, In other words, the land is actually part of the deal yeah. before you can get the rock. But in forest quarrying, it seems to have this uh, um, rather interesting dimension of uh, basically just allowing someone to take the rock and nothing is uh, mentioned about the land because the land is still forest reserve. Mm. But then the impact on the land um, far outweighs uh, any kind of value that you can place on the land per se. Uh. Yeah. So that's one. The other one is um, I feel that there is a kind of agenda to uh, manage the you know the so-called not-in-my-backyard kind of attitudes among the townspeople because townspeople tend to have more political voice and uh, it's maybe become harder for you know the quarrying industry to actually secure land to quarry, uh, which is not forest reserve. And um, convenient advantage is being taken uh, of the Aboriginal peoples who have less voice and uh, don't have such ability to speak up when uh, forest reserves get quarried and uh, you know impact their neighborhoods and livelihoods. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, in the long term, I think if we carry on doing this, I think the the rock based industries are headed on a very poor tra trajectory of being um, kind of being excused from uh, environmental performance standards. Mm -hmm. You know, they will actually be excused from investing in best in class technologies, and um, eventually we will remain uh, a third world country. <laughs> 
So, so this is what you yeah. mean when you said there is a dearth of government policy discourse and industry think tanking on the question of what sustainability should mean, especially for the quarrying industry. Am I correct? Yeah, that's right. I think it is, um, it's, it's not something that uh, I'm able to quote public data Okay. Because basically, you know, <laughs> that's that's one of the big problems we have in this country. But just from a gut feel, uh, I think forest quarrying is about, I guess, helping some chosen fortunate operators or lucky operators to get a really advantage uh, position on the value chain uh, in terms of, uh, you know, the average uh, cost benchmarks, you know, for procuring rock products. I, I tend to think that the current... Um, cost structure of you know rock products that we need for development is actually pretty much still based on the, the normal quarries on alienated land right um, because these do still form the the, the, the bulk of uh, all quarries uh, forest quarries are still um, relatively small in number compared to these quote unquote normal quarries um I think we run the risk of um, if we allow the number of forest quarries to increase and kind of um, uh, reduce the entry barriers to the uh, to the to, to, to new sourcing of um, uh, rock sources, there's a possibility that you know we may never find a, a way back. There will be a point of no return because the entire um, industry, the entire market, would have been habituated to to the easy availability and low cost. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the responsible thought leadership is necessary in order to um, uh, get this into the mainstream uh, discourse uh, on sustainability, uh, especially developmental sustainability because uh, we see today, for example, all the um, federal and state planning authorities are talking about sustainability from the national physical plan down to the state structure plan down to, uh, you know, individual local authorities, um, you know, plant the patterns. Yes, yes. Yeah, all of them have uh, pretty massive chapters on Pembangunan Mampan. But you cannot consider Pembangunan Mampan in isolation without thinking about what um, materials and resources go into that Pembangunan. Mm -hmm. And uh, I definitely feel that quarrying and the sourcing of rock products and uh, cement feedstocks and all that is has definitely has to be part of this um, narrative, uh, part of this dialogue regarding pembangunan uh, mampan. Mm. Sustainability planning is not something to just uh, pluck from thin air, obviously. I mean, uh, we have already six quarries uh, in Lagong. In fact, more if you actually consider um, not just the rest of Selangor but other states uh, where forest quarries have been operated. Now, in 30 years of operation, presumably there have been EIAs, uh, there have been uh, operational monitoring, there's been data collected. Obviously, not all of it can be good. It'd be unrealistic to expect that. And um, uh, one just has to wonder uh, why this has not cropped up in any of the state government's narratives to try and justify its decision to uh, expand the quarrying in Lagong. Because uh, in order to justify you really have to look at the balance of good and bad and um, uh, determine whether uh, environmental damage is uh, actually um, sufficiently offset by uh, social and um, economic benefits. So um, when they try to justify this, all this is, uh, is, is missing and it's um, you know, not really giving the public confidence that this government is actually um, 
thinking of um, uh, the longer-term interests of the state uh, and the country. I think the crux of the matter is that um, no government should be allowed to um, make uh, long-term commitments in non-renewable non non resources, especially when you're going to uh, hamstring uh, future governments from um, uh, trying to protect the environment uh, down the road. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Rosalie, if I can just get some concluding uh, thoughts from you. You know, what do you want anyone who's listening to know about, you know, this particular project and why it's so uh, detrimental to the area? I mean, yeah, what would your message be? Well, uh, we have to, to see Bukit Lagong in the bigger picture. The animals uh, that we found there or... or the list given by the orang asli there, many are endangered, many are, you know, in the IUCN um, uh, category, mm -hmm. they're all threatened. Many are threatened, the cerro, the, the clouded leopard and and others. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And worse, if you look at the IUCN uh, also, all of these populations, they are decreasing. So not only they are threatened, they are the population is decreasing. So we need to conserve our forests. We, we cannot be losing more of our forests. Um, the Selangor government say that they want to keep 34% of its uh, land as forest. Mm -hmm. But they keep on, um, well, uh, plan to, to destroy. Mm -hmm. Kuala Langat, Utara, Forest Reserve, they plan to destroy 1,000 hectares to build for more development. Mixed development, yeah. Mixed development. Um, um, Shah Alam Competitive Forest, a very good forest. Again, I did um, butterfly and bird surveys there. Very good forest. A very good list of uh, creatures there. They want to uh, degazette and develop. Um, now, Lagong. And also, <laughs> also many forests. So many forests. Okay, basically, we have to preserve all our forest reserves to preserve the biodiversity. We lose the biodiversity, we lose, uh, in the end, uh, our own um, human existence. We lose and, life, yeah. Yes. And the other thing is um, global warming, global warming. 15% of global warming is contributed by uh, forest destruction. Um, Eight hundred hectares to be to be destroyed. That's uh, another con contribution. So without without hyperbole, hy global warming is an existential threat, which can mean the wiping out of our our existence, human existence. So again, we need to pro to to preserve our forests. And for example, the, the case of Baling, they lock forests uphill. And when the rain, rain comes, uh, all the debris came down to the villages. So same with Bukit Lagung, the, the quarry will be uphill. Mm. And as mentioned just now, this, the rivers from uphill, from these to be quarried areas will come down the, to the villages, especially the Orang Asli villages. So again, we'll, it's a disaster waiting to happen. So protect the forest for global warming, protect the forest for, for biodiversity, protect the forest against the expected um, uh, calamity that will happen. Yeah. And another thing, forest for uh, water catchment areas. Of course.
Okay. All right. Yeah. You know, I think we can imagine people saying, but, oh, you know, we need development, isn't it? But they shouldn't be mutually exclusive, isn't it? Um, Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, for you, Peter, you know, I mean, what, yeah, what do you want people to know about this? Um, I think uh, for me, one one important thing is um, we need to actually develop more disciplined frameworks for managing uh, development in a way that's uh, uh, responsible and uh, friendly to the environment. Um, I I was going to talk a bit about you know regulatory frameworks, but I know you've had much more eminent people to talk about <laughs> regulatory mat- matters here on here on VFM. But let me just uh, share one little thought that I have. Uh, um, I I think if we just look at the Lagong situation, uh, how these quarries got licensed, you know, they are actually they actually come under a provision of the Forestry Act that's called minor license. A minor license, I think I was saying just now about the, the way that it's actually granted for one year only. Yeah. And that subsequent uh, uh, renewals are actually not guaranteed, but yet they seem to have been guaranteed. Okay. And uh, being painted over and re-stenciled 58 times as I <laughs> calculated yes. earlier. Yeah, yeah. So is this the right way for um, licensing or for enabling you know, major business enterprises, some of them by public listed corporations, you know? Uh, to proceed, uh, I think this is not the the right uh, regulatory framework, and um, it's actually not limited to quarrying. Actually, if you can also look at uh, things like uh, the planting of monoculture crop on uh, forest reserves, this has happened. Uh, rubber, oil palm, uh, even the case of a uh, Selangor Fruits Valley, where parts of forest reserve, in that case, it's actually Rantau Panjang Forest Reserve. Mm-hmm. I think it's something like a full 20% of it has actually been um, sublet to um, uh, various fruit farmers, uh, but uh, still remain a forest reserve technically. Um, is that the right way? Uh, you know, Because if you actually just were to read a simple reading of the Forestry Act as regards to this thing called use permit, which is what is used to legalize it, uh, the f- first thing that jumps out of you is that uh, it's uh, no assignment. So how did all this subletting come about? Uh, in that case, it's uh, by a, a state organization called the PKPS. It's basically the State Agricultural Development Agency. So these are the things that um, we. F- I feel that in a kind of, a, not just a democracy, we, what we want is a felt democracy. We are elected, government doesn't you know, play around with... Uh, <laughs> if they establish uh, laws and regulations uh, without actually, you know, putting it on the table. I mean, you would expect that, okay, if you really believe that certain regulatory frameworks uh, need to be changed <coughs> to um, to suit present-day needs, then please table the pindaan in the, and, and get it uh, bahaskan on the floor with the elected reps yeah. rather than working around it uh, in an insidious manner. Um, on the lawmakers uh, front, I think one thing that kind of uh, jumps out at me is the fact that um, federal government isn't really having much of a say in um, this issue. And, uh, and what makes me say that is that uh, there's actually two uh, UNESCO World Heritage tentative listings uh, already there in the, on, on the doorstep of Bukit Lagong. Uh, and these two are the um, FRIM, Forest Research Institute of Malaysia, uh, and the Sungai Buruh Leprosarium, which I think most people know as Pusat, uh, Pusat Kus, Kawalan Kusta Negara. Frame was actually tentatively listed in 2015, uh, followed in 2019 by um, the uh, Leprosy Centre. So um, 
And, and these are both uh, establishments which are under the federal government. I, I mean, you have FRIM under CATSA and um, obviously the Leprosy Centre under um, Ministry of Health. So you would wonder why uh, you know, none, of the, uh, none of these narratives actually come up at the, at the federal level. Uh, and um, why is the federal government not actually uh, uh, imposing itself on this uh, situation? Um, and I think it speaks uh, to the broader issue that we, we seem to face all the time, you know, this never-ending mantra that we keep hearing time and time again about uh, uh, land being a state matter. You know, it's as though um, state having carved out uh, uh, two pieces of land for federal government uh, has the right to tell the federal government that, you know, don't interfere in our uh, state forests. But um, in reality, I I think the purpose of federation is that there must always be a, a national interest in, in, in everything in the country, not just at federal level. So that's, um, I, I think, my, my, my thought about um, how public needs to be, to see uh, a government working. Yeah. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for joining me today. I've been speaking to Peter Leong, a researcher and activist uh, on various green conservation causes. Uh, Rosalie Omar, a wildlife photographer, ex-lecturer at University of Malaya. Both gentlemen are part of Friends of Bukit Kiara. They were talking to me about what's going down in Bukit Lagung. If you miss any part of our conversation today, you can always download the podcast at bfm.my earth or you can find it on the BFM app. This has been Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.